You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh boy, we got a real Friday on our hands. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of bad news, isn't there always? But there's also good news today. Groundbreaking news. News that we should be popping champagne bottles about while also having serious conversations about how delayed the popping of those bottles was and for what terrible reasons. But I'm getting ahead of myself. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Michael Eves on the Masters. Jonathan Zaslow on the Marlins. And Tua, we got a bunch of people coming on tonight. And you can come on the show and be a part of it by being a part of the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is heating up. And so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz is where you can hit us up. We're starting, of course, with the big news today, Fitz, of the Marlins naming Kim Eng their general manager. Eng was on this program when it was called Spain and Company for our Game Changers segment back in March. And so much the conversation around her for the last 15-plus years has been, will she eventually be the first woman to become a GM in MLB history and male professional uh, big league sports in the U.S.? No woman ever has been a GM. It took her 15 years of interviews, but she finally got it, Fitz. It's such a inspiring moment. It's such a right moment. It's such a real moment, Sarah. And all I kept thinking about was in this moment, and I'm really, I think, here speaking to the, the quiet because I don't think most people are out loudly speaking about it. But there are groups of people that will sit around and say, oh, how can a woman be hired to this position? Uh, this is a reminder to sports fans everywhere that you want one thing for your favorite team. You want tremendous leadership. You want smart leadership, right? Like you want somebody that you can look at and say the organization is in great hands because of an insert name here. And I don't care where that person's from, what race that person is, what gender that person is. And what I'm seeing finally is it feels like this eye-opening revelation. And there's been a lot of movement forward in the NBA you and I have talked a lot about. But to see this, to see an actual GM come in to a male sport as a woman is such a great moment for all of us as sports fans because it breaks down the barrier of hiring practices to a point that you look at it and say, hey, finally, maybe everybody's going to look at qualified candidates across the board no matter what, which is the best thing you could possibly hope for mm-hmm. for every single sport. Well, and what you want for your team is to have the very best person in the job that's going to make you better. And my favorite part about this is Outside of a certain subset of morons that are always going to see women as unqualified, no one can say she's unqualified. She'd been an intern with the White Sox at 21, and she's 51 now, which means she's been working in baseball for as long as David Stearns was alive when he was hired to be the GM of the Brewers. Let me repeat that again. The Brewers hired their GM, David Stearns, when he was 30 years old, and Kim Eng has worked in baseball for 30 years before getting this opportunity. She was an intern at 21 with the White Sox, did a bunch of jobs there, worked her way up to the AL's Director of Waivers and Records, then became the youngest assistant GM in MLB history at 29, working for Brian Cashman and the Yankees. All they did together was win three titles in the four years she was there. She goes to the Dodgers as vice president and assistant GM in 2001, then leaves there to be the senior VP of baseball ops for MLB in 2011. 
and interviewed and was passed over for at least five open GM positions before getting this job with the Marlins. If you're trying to make any argument that she's not qualified, you're full of it. You're trying to think of a way to criticize what should be a hire that shouldn't even really be talked about because it should be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, she'd been doing this forever. She seems great. That'll be good. Um, what was interesting, Fitz, is when she was on Spain and Company to do Game Changers, uh, she sort of acknowledged that early on, it was about how do I make this team better? And then at some point she realized, oh, I could do these bigger and better and higher jobs. And here's how I need to apply myself to put myself in the running for them. I think when you get a job in baseball, you're just so mesmerized by the whole the whole mm-hmm. experience that, you know, each day is a blessing and a treat. And, you know, you can't believe that you're you're driving to the ballpark to go to work. So I, I'm not sure early on that there were any large grand designs on, on what step was next. Early on, it was really just, you know, later on in my career as well, it was really just about trying to help the team get that win each day. But, you know, as I progressed through my career and I and I had a, you know, started to get a better understanding of the industry and, you know, of what different positions responsibilities were, it was then I really started to think about, you know, what it meant to be a general manager, an assistant general manager, and and really try to figure out what things I need to get under my belt in order to get me closer to those types of positions. Fitz, one of the things she did was align herself with a bunch of very respected people in the industry so that her mentors are the kind of people that you walk into a room with, you see them together and you say, oh, okay, she, she must have it if the people she's around are George Steinbrenner, Dan Evans, Brian Cashman, Joe Torrey, right? And and you look at Torrey um, was her, her most recent boss with MLB. He, you know, he and Cashman and all these others commenting on how excited they are for her. And she's working with Jeter, who played for the Yankees when she was there, and Mattingly, who was with her as a coach and manager when she worked at the Dodgers. So people who can vouch for her and have worked with her before who are saying, oh, we know this is a great hire. Isn't that somewhat similar to what we've seen in the coaching tree that's come out of, from Popovich in the NBA? You know, mm-hmm. like at some point it's about being around people that respect you no matter what. And Sarah, you know, I, I've always sort of worn my Raiders fandom on my sleeve. But one of the things that really growing up for me was always inspiring was seeing Amy Trask, somebody that, you know, mm-hmm. when the day she followed me on Twitter was eye opening <laughs> for me. I was like, oh, my God, because. I'm a Raiders fan, and one of the things as a fan that you grew up understanding for that organization is that Al Davis didn't care what you looked like or what gender you were. He was going to hire smart people. I don't think I really realized as a kid that that wasn't the norm, so it was eye-opening for me to find out it wasn't. And then you look around and say, well, why? And and that's the, the, the big thing I keep asking myself today is, why is it taking this long, and, and why has there been such resistance? Because ultimately, if you it's about the 10,000-hour principle. They always say that you have to spend 10,000 hours around something to be an expert now I don't know if that's true but you can look at these sports and you can look at these qualified people and say hey they put in their 10,000 hours to become experts and they've gained the respect of the community that they're within why would you not give them opportunity if it can make your team better and that's all anybody cares about when it comes to drafting when it comes to hiring it should always be blindly about who makes your team better and that's what the Marlins did today I mean I got to give them a massive tip of the cap because no matter whether this would have come eventually this is the first this this is the moment, and this is something that is worth celebrating if you're a Marlins fan particularly. Uh, Kim Ang talked to Jim Capel of ESPN back in 2015. So she was uh, already into the interviews um, and had not yet uh, gotten one. But the way she talked about it was exactly how I think someone in her position has to, which is 
to say that um, there are plenty of people who have been very qualified and have not gotten the job. I've interviewed for several positions. I can name a lot of other people who have been interviewed for the same number or more, and they still haven't gotten one. I'm just a little different, so people tend to focus on me. If it comes, it comes, then that's great. And if not, I'll just keep plugging away. And that's what she did for 15 years trying to get the job that she now got. And to your point of why does it take so long, it's never been about women not working hard enough, being knowledgeable enough, or even fitting in. It's always been, as I wrote in a story that's coming out soon, about the gender that acquired power eons ago because they could physically wrest it from us, daring to put their fists down long enough to let their brains lead the way and to say it's okay if we're making this decision not based on our idea of strength and power and who's in charge, but based on the idea that anyone can be in charge if they acquire the knowledge and the work to do so. But across the country, society, world, probably on whatever unknown universes that we haven't discovered yet, being physically able to beat someone up was the thing that decided that you were in charge. And then (laughs) wanting to let go of that power is the thing that prevents women from success all over the place. So there's been women, so many before her, that have been qualified for this, and they've lost out because of fear, not their own fear, but the fear of men that they will come into their spaces and that the fragility of the men standing in their way has been preventing them from the success that they deserve. So I'm excited for Kim Eng, but I'm frustrated because there are plenty of women in the 93 years since GM started being hired for baseball teams who have also been qualified and have been denied the opportunity to be the person who, who gets that honor of being the first. And that's why it's always a celebration and a frustration that it's 2020 and we're still like, yay, we did it. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Not a lot of college football on the schedule for this weekend. Might get into that a little bit later and... Certainly, we know that Fitz is going to have a conversation with Zach Wilson a little later in the show. Uh, but there is lots of NFL to look forward to, even if Saturday might not look what, what we'd uh, what we'd hope for it to look like. And, and one of the big draws of this weekend, Fitz, is a couple rookie or young up-and-coming quarterbacks facing off. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we got Tua Herbert and Alan Murray. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Tua Herbert because I think that, you know, it was a really interesting point that was made uh, last segment as we were talking to Jonathan Zaslow, who worked down there, about the fact that both of those guys were on the board at the same time. So Tua mm-hmm. and Herbert are going to be linked together forever. And we do that all the time with first and second picks. But oh, really? We do. We that do. With fifth we... and sixth. Uh, um, I disagree <laughs> oh, yeah, with you because. Yeah. Uh, it's well, not just okay. the number one and two picks that get the we kind do, of focus. Yes, if there's a massive trade made to move up and take a questionable pick overall at, at two. Instead but of the so often, future greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which, by the way, a lot of teams missed on. I'm just trying to make yes, you feel better. Yes, we weren't alone. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but this is this really will always. These two will always be joined to the hip because, frankly, you know the Dolphins had their choice and uh, who how they were going to go was going to dictate how the Chargers were going to go. So uh, mm-hmm. they will always be side eyeing each other from across the country. And this game is going to be, I think, the first real example of it. Now, I do think we've forgotten a little bit of how bad Tua looked in the first game, or how little we saw from Tua, I should say, from the first game, and we've just become infatuated with how great he looked in the last one, but. Herbert has looked consistently incredibly good. And, you know, I watched Sunday's game against the Raiders and I was nervous at the end of the game because I know that Herbert can make all of these throws. And I think he's really he's put himself in a situation where he deserves the praise he's getting early on, even if it is a very small body of work. 
Yeah, it's funny because usually with quarterbacks, since win-loss records are not a quarterback stat, we often will say, you know, it's unfair. Uh, In the case of Herbert, I think uh, instead of the usual, which is, you know, we're about our teams, we play against each other. He's like, I'm cool if you just want to separate me from the Chargers for the sake of this discussion, because I'm crushing it and we're not getting wins, right? If you say you're looking for some sort of, you know, detriment, some sort of negative to talk about Herbert, other than the fact that they can't win games, which isn't his fault, kind of tough to find. Yeah, well, and and that is the the real of it. But it is so early. You know me, like I, I'm so cautious on heaping this level of praise. But we've seen it from across the board. I mean, mm-hmm. this rookie glasses we've talked about before. It, it looks incredible, and I'll throw Joe Burrow in that conversation too. You know, but but with Tua, it's such. I mean, it's one game, and I, I'm not trying to be a naysayer, but it is one game. I just feel like this game is a much easier, it's a much better opportunity for us to get a bigger body of work so that we can actually have some sweeping generalization make about him. I mean, to think that as Zaslow just said, he could be in the rookie of the year conversation from one game, just that's too big of a leap for me. Uh, It was a great game, 283 yards, two touchdowns, no picks and a fourth quarter comeback. But to your point, what we've seen from Herbert since the first start he made has been remarkable. Um, He's had uh, the first rookie quarterback since 1950 with 2,000-plus passing yards and 15-plus passing touchdowns in his first seven starts. He's averaging 307 yards per game, which is only behind Dak and Russell Wilson, 17 touchdowns to five interceptions. Uh, Whatever we saw when he was thrust into action, surprisingly, uh, last minute because of what went down with Terod Taylor, has kept going. It wasn't a fluke, which many of us wondered. Um, So I'm, I'm... very interested in seeing this game. And I think in the end, what we're going to care more about is how both these guys look as opposed to the result of the game. Yeah, the the Dolphins are absolutely in a playoff position and have something to play for. Chargers have a lot to work on. But long term, I think we just want to see, are they going to give us some highlights and a fun watch? And is it going to be the beginning of watching that for a while? Well, and to that end, the other matchup that we've got all eyes on, Kyler Murray and Josh Allen taking each other on uh, is that I think this is a huge game for the Bills mm-hmm. and for the Cardinals. Two two teams that are really looking to cement their port their part of the national conversation, and two quarterbacks that are, have just played uh, incredibly well. I mean, not just good; they've been great. And you've seen the metrics. We've all seen the metrics of, of Josh Allen and how he compares to you know if you, to Lamar Jackson. The same with Kyler Murray. They ran this week on NFL Live. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at two young quarterbacks here, and the one thing that stands out, Sarah, when you look at all of them, whether it's Tua Herbert. Uh, Josh Allen or Kyler Murray, it shows you what the position looks like now. It's mobile guys that can run around and can make interesting throws. They can do things that aren't necessarily on schedule and they can get creative and get there in the kitchen and cook however they want to. And that's one common thing that I think we're seeing from all of these is that mobility and playmaking is better at the quarterback position than we've seen ever before from young quarterbacks. It feels like point guards at this point, their ability to move around and facilitate. That's why it's so fun to watch Nick Foles every week. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, oh. Jason Fitz. Uh, yeah, the Bills currently sit third in the AFC, and the Cardinals are sixth in the NFC. So this is a matchup of two teams with playoff aspirations. Uh, the Cardinals, I think, a little ahead of schedule, uh, and and the Bills exactly where they should be as they continue to ride this incredibly talented quarterback, Josh Allen, who a lot of people 
I think, still are saying, oh, the jury's out. But if you're a Buffalo fan or if you're a fan of a team that doesn't usually have a quarterback, what you've seen from him is more than enough to be super excited about what the future looks like. Um, As far as Kyler Murray, one of the reasons that we might be overlooking just how great he's been is because he's literally under where we're looking. And that's what Ryan Clark said on Greeny with Mike Greenberg. Like, his height is keeping us from talking about how great he's been. We are fighting ourselves because Kyler Murray is 5'10". We are fighting it because you don't want to believe it. You don't want to believe that it could work. You want to believe that there has to be some deficiency there or some negative to being that height. But the ball comes out of his hand. It's top five to me. He's as fast as Lamar Jackson. We just don't talk about it as much because that's not truly what his team focuses on when it's about diagramming and scheming plays for him. But the dude is special. He is special. Uh, he's And he's ahead of schedule for me, Fitz, in terms of – what he's what he's doing yeah and i i hear what rc is saying when he says that it's a height issue i also think frankly it's a market and team interest issue mm-hmm. issue i mean absolutely i don't know that we'll ever appreciate larry fitzgerald the same way that we should i don't know that we'll ever even as people talk about how he's a you know first ballot future hall of famer i think about the level of popularity he would have if he was with a team that had a more rabid and vocal fan base and that's just I think real plus the doubters for Cliff Kingsbury in the offense we thought he was going to run coming in and would it work? I mean, there were so many questions about Kyler Murray, the coach, and the team all together, a a, a brand that doesn't have as much power. I, I mean, I think those are all factors in why we don't necessarily have Kyler Murray in the same portion of the conversation. And then, you know, how often are people glued to the TV to say, oh my God, we have to watch the Cardinals game. I mean, that's real. You've got to get to the point where you get more national games and more national exposure for people that may live in markets that aren't even carrying Cardinal games for people who can really appreciate his greatness. It's kind of surprising, though, because we did talk so much about Kyler Murray coming in, especially about the fact that he was a two-sport athlete and was he ever going to change his mind and wish that he made a different decision and what was he going to look like? And now that he's in, we aren't paying as much attention as we should. Um, He's on pace right now to become the first player in NFL history to pass for 4,000 yards and rush for 1,000 in the same season. That's including Lamar Jackson, who we spend all of our time talking about how we've never seen this before, and we aren't doing that to 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 Murray. And you know, part of that's because his team isn't doing what the Ravens did last year, where they were so dominant that you couldn't ignore them. They're a little bit more of a a week to week. But yeah, I think this could be a big moment for him against a great quarterback and Josh Allen, two good teams to show us uh, show us what they got. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now on the Shell Penzo Performance Line, live from Augusta National, presumably hopped up on pimento sandwiches and free cold beer in the media room, it's Sports Center anchor Michael Eaves. Michael, thanks for the time. It's pimento and cheese, Sarah. You got to say the whole thing. It's like a tribe called Quest. You got to say the whole I thing. I thought it was pimento, pimento cheese. cheese. <laughs> Okay, I'm so sorry. I I will remember that. Don't disrespect my southern roots. (laughs) We had a little egg sandwich pimento conversation yesterday, and unfortunately, neither Fitz nor I is particularly high on either, uh, which is a a, Uh, a disgrace to the South. I'm not big on the egg salad. I'm not big on the egg salad, but pimento cheese, I could eat those joints all day. And have you been is the real question. (laughs) What Uh, what number are we at at this point? You know, for me, this is this is probably the lowest number to get through a Friday. I'm only on number three. Oh, all right, good, good for you. Like, I think the first year I, came, out, I probably ate at like twelve. I mean, probably. Who's who's the one that's in there? Just like yard dogging them all. 
You know, for the pimento cheese, I would say from the ESPN crew, not that many. We got too many Northerners uh, on our squad, right? Mm. So I'm going to Marty maybe, Smith. Well, it would it would only be me and Marty actually, you know, really getting into it. But I haven't seen Marty, and you know, the last couple of years, Marty and I have shared a house here in Augusta, and so I, I saw him way more often. But because of the pandemic, we're not sharing uh, houses this year. So I've only seen Marty twice in person. Man. I've talked to him on TV about five times, but I've only seen him in person twice. Ain't no party like a Marty party, especially when you add an Eves. That's got to be a good that, house. At, okay. and, and a bottle of brown liquor. You don't even know. That's right. You don't even know. That's right. I don't, need, I don't need to know. It's probably an HR violation. Uh and <laughs> Fitz, Michael Eves talking to us from Augusta National. Uh, Tiger Woods is going to finish his second round early tomorrow morning before starting the third round. How big of a deal is that, that he's got to finish those? Uh, and, and how well does he have to start out tomorrow to keep pace? Uh, first, it's not that big of a deal, quite honestly. I mean, these professional golfers, they, they have to do this on the regular because, I mean, it rains in the summer in places. So doing this is not that big of a deal. I mean, 44 guys had to do it today. 48 will have to do it tomorrow. That's not that big of a deal. Uh, but it is it is important for him, though, Sarah, to get off to a good start because he only has eight and a half holes to play, nine and a half really, I guess. Um, because when he, when he walked up the golf course yesterday, he was three shots out of the lead. Before he even teed off, Today he was five shots back, and that's where he finds himself right now. But he needs to he needs to be a little closer to the league going into the weekend. I think the last sixty winners of the Masters have all been within win at least six shots of the lead after thirty six mm. holes. All right, so you want to be a little sad. closer to the top while you get to Saturday and Sunday. But he has two opportunities. He's still got to play thirteen and fifteen, the the easy par five birdie holes on the second nine at Augusta National. So I would be surprised actually if he does, if he's not within you know, three or four shots of lead once he's finished. So, Eves, we played it yesterday. I think you call it Tiger's play day one smooth. So what have you seen from him since then? And Do you feel like he's still on that trajectory? No, nah, I got a little sandpaper in his game uh, on Friday. <laughs> they actually rejected him from the VIP area he was walking into to buy those bottles. That, that Mr. Yeah, Mr. yeah, no, no, no. He, he should not have uh, – they, they would not have let him in with, 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 with the raggedy game he had on today. His, his drip was not fit. That's for sure. I mean, he had it. He almost made an eagle on his second hole, like easy birdie. Then he three putts from like twelve feet below the hole. That's just not something Tiger does. And then he had another uh, bad bogey after that. He did have two birdies on that side. So again, he's even. But it wasn't that silky smooth, you know, fresh jar skip that we saw on Thursday. But again, he still has a chance to get it back. I mean, if he gets to two under on the backside. Uh, tomorrow he he shot three under on that side Thursday again he's right there it, you know, you ain't gonna be smooth all the time but you can be smooth when you <laughs> put that green jacket on Sunday I prefer chunky myself uh, Sports Center anchor <laughs> Michael Eves with us here on Spain and Fitz uh, Dustin Johnson Justin Thomas John Rom Justin Rose all kind of near that leaderboard all within striking distance to be the winner down the stretch what who are you expecting to make a move this weekend who looks the best to you so far uh, DJ looks the best. As of right now, but I fully expect by the time John Rom finishes his second round tomorrow that he might be in the lead by himself because he's still he he's got it like a three footer in the morning for birdie to get to nine under. Then he still has to play fifteen, uh, which is a birdie uh, opportunity as I mentioned. Sixteen's been playing very favorable as well, so he could totally be in the lead by himself in double digits. Now, once you get to the weekend, then now we're talking about you know a race to the finish and who can play the best golf over those final thirty six holes. But DJ, number one in the world, he won the FedEx Cup. He's a PJ Tour Player of the Year. He's exactly where he should be. And John Rahm, number three in the world, 
right? So we've got the top – and Justin Thomas, we've got the top three players in the world in contention right now. And here's something to look forward to tomorrow. Let me be a golf nerd real quick. Never in the history of the official world golf rankings, which we've had for like 35 years, have the top three players in the world been tied for the lead after 36 holes of any major, right? Mm-hmm. So that could happen tomorrow if John Rahm didn't go out and just lead it by himself. We're talking to Michael Eve, sports and anchor. Today. He's live in Augusta right now. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's look at the other side of this, though. DeChambeau currently below the projected cut line. He was the favorite for coming in for a lot of people. What happened? Look, I, I don't know if you guys go to church or, you know, what your religious beliefs are, or even if you believe in karma, people have their own individual things. There is one absolute truth. Golf gods exist, and they don't like to be teased. They don't like to be blasphemed. And what Bryson DeChambeau did early in the week, he said that par for him this week on this golf course was 67. So that's five under every day because of his length and how he thought he could attack this golf course. Well, you know what? Golf gods were like, oh, yeah? Well, come play this hole and see what happens, homeboy. What you going to do in this? He has a double bogey on a par five. He had a triple bogey on a par four. He lost a ball. He almost lost two balls, actually. So in some regards, he's very fortunate to be plus one based on how he's played. But don't tempt the golf gods, man. They don't get down like that. Go up there <laughs> and play your game. And if you shoot 67 every day, we'll tip your hat. Do not talk to the golf gods. They don't play that. I always Mike, wonder, Sarah, like there, there's yeah. so many different gods, like the golf gods, there's the, a the lot football of gods, gods hockey, like which, which God of those sports gods is the and one how that do you know that you're like, of... you know, making one God happy? What if that's the same thing that makes the other God unhappy? It's a real, it's tough. It's tough to keep wish, up. Hey, look, like, I, which gods are at the I, I cool up, kids table? I grew up next door to a, a Methodist church. I got baptized in a, in a Baptist church, but I've been playing golf just as long. Golf gods don't mess with them. They're the toughest like, Jesus is cool. Like, you know, Jesus, he'll forgive your sins as long as you say certain things. Muhammad, you do some stuff. Buddha, all them. Golf gods, they don't play that, man. They don't. Yeah. Problem. Spain and Fitz, Michael Eve, Sports Center anchor, live from Augusta National. What's the weirdest part? And we only got about a minute or so, so uh, keep it short. What's the weirdest part about the Masters this year for you, of all the things that no are people. different? Yeah. No people. It's it, man. It's just, it's a, it, this is a special place to go. It's an awesome piece of property. The, the greatest players in the history of this game have typically won here and won multiple times. And the people who come here have been coming every year. And their, and their knowledge of the of that and the venue is top notch. And it just makes all the excitement in this place. And we don't have it this year, and it's severely lacking. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're here to be playing some golf, Sarah. But it's so much better when you have thirty, thirty-five thousand patrons out there. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy the time, enjoy the weekend, enjoy the pimento cheese sandwiches, and hopefully get a little bit more Marty Party in your life. We all need more pimento cheese and Marty. There's no question about that. <laughs> Mike Leaves <laughs> with us you, here on Spain and Fitz. Thanks, bud. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We've been talking about these young mobile quarterbacks, so we went ahead and put it up there on the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Got a poll. Who's going to have the most success this week? You can tweet us at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain. That's where you can get into the conversation, get your vote, and uh, send us something clever. Maybe we'll read it on air. In the meantime, uh, don't forget you can tune in for college football action tomorrow. Virginia Tech hosts Miami, presented by Goodyear. 
Coverage begins at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Now, if you're an NFL fan and you're already looking at the draft trying to figure out these quarterbacks, we've been talking about young mobile quarterbacks. Let's head over to the Shell Penzo performance line and talk to one of the best of them right now, BYU quarterback Zach Wilson joining us there. Zach, thanks so much for the time, and congrats on the season so far. So your name suddenly is hot. Everybody's talking about your greatness. The question is, why is everybody just figuring it out and making it part of the conversation now? Yeah, it's hard to say. You know, I think the the whole team is just playing at such a high level around us. I feel like I've elevated my game to some extent, and um, we've all just gotten better. Um, and we've really shown to to be a top team and, and have some national exposure. Well, absolutely. But with that, I mean, now that your name gets so hot, like, there is there a moment for you? Like, what's it feel like knowing that your name is being bounced around with so many big names right now? Yeah, it's cool. It's a blessing. You know, it's honestly uh, something that makes me want to keep working harder and uh, uh, make sure I can, I can keep progressing as a player and make sure I can get to the next level where I want to be. It's interesting to us because we talk a lot on this show about the struggles of COVID-19 and what it's meant for college football this season, but you had it this summer. Have you felt any lingering effects from it as you've gone through the season? No, nothing, man. I mean, it was, uh, it was really like any other sickness to me. I mean, a little bit different as far as just the symptoms, but, but nothing over the top, nothing much much different than having uh just the flu and it was a couple days of of having symptoms a couple weeks of being out and then we were right back at it and training and and all that kind of stuff so what's been the biggest challenge for you guys as a team navigating staying healthy but still getting better as you go yeah making sure everyone's accountable as far as as far as really making sure we take the season seriously understanding that we can't be going out and hanging out um and and doing all that stuff outside of uh football and um, making sure that, um, you know, we take care of ourselves uh, physically as well, and, you know, going in and getting rehab and um, understanding that each game this year is very precious and, and how much it means. Um, and so I feel like we've done a great job of that so far. We're talking to BYU quarterback Zach Wilson on Spain and Fitz. And so, Zach, uh, when you look at this offense, what is it that allows you to be so successful in it? Yeah, you know, it's really been uh, a little bit different from our past years. You know, we were a little bit more of a quick game team last year a lot of RPO style stuff and, and this year we really decided that you know we wanted to be a team that had explosive plays and I think the coaches have done a tremendous job uh, adjusting to our strengths and I feel like that is one of our strengths is being able to take shots down the field uh, land the big ones gash the gash in the run game when we need to and set up the play action pass and uh, work the screen game and then we've also had a, a ton of uh, creative creative plays I've seen I've seen um, a ton around the NFL that we've used this year, and so it's been awesome for us to to capitalize on those. I love talking to quarterbacks about quarterbacks and about inspiration. So a couple of days ago, I was working with EJ Manuel, and he specifically pointed out that you have this Mahomesian quality to move your arm in any area and still get an accurate throwout. When you see guys like Pat that go out and play, do, do you sort of look at some of that and start to mimic it and practice it? Yeah, and it's not even necessarily just from Patrick Mahomes. You know, I love watching it, but it's it's something I feel like has fit my game, something I feel like has benefited in the way I'm able to work throws around someone or um, make something a little bit easier for me or, or actually get a throw off because I'm sidearming around someone or whatever it is. I feel like that, that helps my game. So a lot of the country is just getting to know you, and I love to use these platforms as opportunities for you to tell a little bit about you. What's something you want everybody to know about you as a person? Yeah, it's hard to say. Really that, you know, I'm going to give everything I have uh, for my team, for the guys around me. Um, 
you know, nowhere, nowhere do I feel like we're, we're there yet that we've arrived. Um, you know, it's hard to say. I feel like we're, uh, that, that silent team that not a lot of people, uh, realize how much we have going for us, but, but we can be really good. And so, um, really just that we're going to be even better than, than what everyone's saying so far. And I love that that approach, Zach. And I always think it's interesting talking about the college football playoff committee is something we have to do in this line of work, right? But, you know, th- there's this conversation about BYU and where they belong. What would your message to the playoff committee be? Yeah, you know, that's what's tough. That's a question I've asked or been asked before is, is you know, why should BYU be in the playoffs? And, and, you know, honestly, it's hard. Like, the odds do go against us with the schedule we've played, not playing top 25 ranked opponents. But really the biggest thing that I have to say is, is – how successful that we've been consistently. You know, you see a lot of big-time teams win some games against some big-time opponents, but then lose when they're not supposed to. You know, it's been the story of Oklahoma this year and Iowa State, and um, you see you see Texas doing it all the time. I mean, I mean, there's always these teams that consistently win and then they'll lose, and it's, it's the inconsistency that I think is the reason they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, it's hard. It doesn't matter who you're playing, but it's hard to go in every single week and be expected to win by 30 points and, and continually deliver the, the challenge. Zach, we appreciate your time, man. Best of luck on the rest of the season, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Yep, thank you, guys. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. It's a fun way to hang out with us there. And uh, really, I mean, if you want, you can just get out there and, and praise us. Because, Sarah, I'm going <laughs> to just say it straight out. We are crushing it so far. <laughs> this every, every Look, every Friday we give everybody some picks. And let me tell you, like for anybody that hasn't been keeping up, you're 37 and 10 so far I am. this year. I am indeed. I mean, I, which is impressive, but I, I mean, I'm 34, 12, and 1, and I lost ground. Like I'm also losing good. ground to you. I know. I feel good about it. Well, no time like the present to get things rolling, so let's give everybody our picks. All right, Sarah. I think ladies should go first. So oh, thank why you. Why I give you the floor first? Of course. Uh, ever the gentleman. Why I, I give appreciate you the that. I'm just going to copy your picks because you're doing Yeah, I was going to say, I'm suspicious. Uh, you're <laughs> sus. Uh, the Packers over the Jags is pick number one. Aaron Rodgers is excellent with the Packers when he's playing teams with a winning percentage of .125 or worse. And unfortunately for the Jags, that is the case. Rodgers 14-3 in those games as their quarterback, also 15-2 when he's at least a 12-point favorite. So uh, very solid coming in against bad teams. And again, that quarterback for Jacksonville, Jake Luton or Luton, I have not spent enough time trying to figure out his name because I don't think I need to know it, which is mean but true. I think he's going to have a rough day. Yeah, not only that, uh, I also picked this game. So I'm just going to double down. We'll just pretend like I'm not stealing from you early (laughs) on. But uh, uh, I'll add to that. Wide receiver LaVisca Chenault not going to be in. So even with a backup quarterback, they're going to be without another weapon offensively. The Jags are not a good football team. And then on top of that, they have their issues. In fact, Jags fans are the opposite. Like most fans right now are raising their hands and saying like, why aren't you talking more about us nationally? We're really good. (laughs) Jags fans are like, why aren't you talking more about us in the whole tank thing? Like we got a real shot at it at one and seven. So yeah, they started too strong. We were talking about how they were going to be historically bad. And then they had a couple games. We were like, oh, we forgot. You're not supposed to be trying. <laughs> well, that's that's one we both we're, we're going for low hanging fruit that's early right. on. But what do you got next? 
I've got the Cleveland Browns over the woeful Texans. Uh, my main thing I'm looking at here is that Nick Chubb is supposed to be back after being out since week four with a knee injury, and Houston is last place in rushing defense. They're allowing almost 160 rushing yards a game. So the Browns are already a better team, but now they get back a weapon who's going to hopefully be ready to go and ready to feast on a Houston rush defense that is pitiful. You know, look, I looked at that game and I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, brave enough to take it. I still, I keep looking at the Texans. I mean, it's the Browns, that, so they're well, always going to be risky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, I'll just, uh, I'll get to my game and give for anyone that hasn't heard this every week, we have to pick our favorite team. So uh, I'll go next and I'll give you the Raiders Broncos game. And to the surprise of very few people, I'm picking the Raiders to win this game. But there are a couple of reasons. Uh, I I am a little concerned, by the way. Uh, According to some reports, they could be without four of their five offensive linemen yet again. I will remind everybody, though, that the Raiders' starting offensive line has played less than five snaps together all season. So that gives Mm. you an idea of how bad it has been on the offensive line. But they've still been very good. The Broncos' defense is not particularly good. uh, And I still don't believe in Drew Locke. So even though the Raiders' defense is suspect, the Raiders are a better team top to bottom than the Broncos. I think they continue to roll, not because they're necessarily great, but because they get this soft spot in their schedule. The Raiders get the win. They move to 6-3, and three, and the wild card playoff talk continues across our network. Yeah, so I looked at this game, and I have been struggling to pick against the Broncos because they keep surprising me. Um, and in fact, one of ESPN's experts picked the Broncos to win this game. Uh, so I, there's just something about them that has me... A little bit uh, sensitive around uh, they just they beat some good teams and it's and it's come come across um, in ways that I haven't expected in terms of them you know being able to put together a good game plan so staying away from your Raiders and Broncos and going instead to one of my wheelhouses which is the Giants and whoever the Giants are playing it's the Eagles which is not a straight easy pick to make but I'm still picking the Eagles over the Giants because they're getting back a whole bunch of people Miles Sanders Alshon Jeffrey Jalen Rieger Lane Johnson just among those that are supposed to be back for them and the Giants defense is ranked 25th against the pass I think Wentz is going to have a better time of things against that porous defense also, you know, the the Daniel Jones experiment with the turnovers has just crushed this Giants team to the tune of him uh Daniel Jones himself has lost 16 straight games against all opponents not named Washington. Uh so mm. it's just it's been a rough go. He's had uh at least one turnover in 20 of the 22 career games he's played. Uh I think that's going to make it a little bit easier for the Eagles to get this one. Yeah, I I stayed away from this one because the Eagles have burned me. Every time I think the Eagles are about (laughs) to turn it around, they find a way not to. But to your point, Sarah, they better get this game if they want to be good because they have a gauntlet with the Browns, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Saints, the Cardinals Mm -hmm. coming up after that. So it gets tough for them. Yeah, no, no, nothing easy there. All right, I'll go next. And uh, you know what? It's always easy when you're making a pick if you know that you can pick against the Washington football team. I will (laughs) do that this week. I'm taking Detroit over Washington, and this is less about how good Detroit is and more about the fact that Washington is absolutely a dumpster fire, as we all know. Although Washington's defense has talent on the defensive side of the ball, which I want to give some credit to, I don't believe that they have any idea what to do at the quarterback position. And Alex Smith is a great story, but I'm still a little curious about what that's even going to look like for Washington. So Detroit, which is still a talented football team, manages to get a win, not because they're great, but because Washington is a dumpster fire. Yeah, you know, I, I was very tempted to pick against the Washington football team, or as I call them, the WTFs. But I, uh, I still, for whatever reason, have been burned so many times by the Lions blowing things. Uh, they do not have a home win yet this season, so 
Uh, I just I stayed away from those woeful lines. Instead, I went with a team that I feel good about against a team that has struggled mostly due to injury, and that's Saints over the Niners. I know there's a possibility for a letdown game after their massive win over the Bucks. They certainly could look past this Niners team with all the injuries, but the Niners are five and twenty-two with any quarterback other than Jimmy Garoppolo since 2017. And I think even if the Saints come out a little flat, they'll find the way to right the ship and win this game. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I also picked this game. uh, And look, I I don't think that San Francisco is being overlooked within the division because a lot of people still have last year in their heads in that division. They know that they're playing a team that went to the Super Bowl. So I feel like they still get amped up within within that. Plus, uh, Raheem Mostert is not going to be in this game. I think that's a big blow for San Francisco. So I'm with you. I also picked the Saints over Hmm. San Francisco. So, you know, a little, 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 little bit of copy there. I'll give you one here. I don't know if you took this one. I got a little, got a little brazen. I picked a tough game, sort of. Okay. Baltimore going to beat New England. Sunday okay. night football, Lamar Jackson going up against, obviously, Bill Belichick. But again, this comes down to my lack of belief in the Patriots' ability to get any offense going, especially against Baltimore and that defense. Baltimore and that defense is just going to be able to make New England look silly in this. Baltimore gets an easy win, in my opinion. So Yeah, the took, reputation a, a tougher of, one. of New England makes it seem tougher, although they're not a good team. But I stayed away from it, too. Just, uh, again, there's something about pride in uh, in the in the – been the Patriots that I always wonder if it will rear its ugly head in the form of a win they don't deserve. Instead, I went with Steelers-Bengals. This was a little bit of a questionable mm. pick because we don't know for sure that Big Ben will be available, but I do think that the Steelers, even with a backup quarterback, can beat this Bengals team. The Steelers lead the NFL with 32 sacks, their second in pass rush win rate. The Bengals have allowed 28 sacks, tied for second most, and they rank 27th in pass block win rate as well so for me this is about a long night for burrow who has had a great rookie campaign who we all love and think is going to have a great bright fruit future but is running for his life with the Bengals against a team with the steelers that has a defense like that and comes in hot i'm still picking the steelers i was too scared to take it the burrow looks so good it just has me in my feels so i i, I stayed <laughs> away from this i got one more you know, I always give everybody a college game, uh, the game on ABC on Saturday night, which means... Are there any college games? Hey, yeah, I know. this, But this <laughs> one's actually really tough. The, the ABC Saturday night game is Wisconsin and Michigan. And Michigan has looked terrible the last couple of weeks. But we've only seen Wisconsin play one game. I have no idea what that layoff is going to do, but I've seen enough Michigan to know how bad it is there. So I'm taking Wisconsin over Michigan. And finally, in our six-pack football picks, I want to remind everyone again, I'm 37-10. and 10. Fitz is 34-12-1. We are crushing it. We're not picking against the spread. We should mention that. We're just picking straight up. Again, we have to pick our own teams, so Bears-Vikings. You tell yourself, why would you pick the Bears, Sarah? They have a terrible offense. It's painful to watch. On the other hand, they're playing the Vikings, and it's a Monday night football <laughs> game. And in case you forgot... Kirk Cousins is 0-9 in Monday Night Football. It's the most consecutive losses by a starting quarterback to begin a career on Monday Night Football and the longest losing streak by a starting quarterback in Monday Night Football history. I am a little bit scared about Dalvin Cook and the Bears' ability to stop him, but the Bears can rush with four. They don't need to blitz to get pressure. Kirk Cousins is going to be on his butt all game long. He's not going to complete a pass downfield all night. And I think the Bears will somehow, particularly with Matt Nagy releasing game plan, uh, game calling, uh, play calling to, duties to his offensive coordinator, have a shot to look a little bit sharper and fresher this week. So I'm picking, despite everything in front of me and all the evidence, the Bears.
Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Shell Penzol performance line, including our next guest from 790 The Ticket, Jonathan Zaslow. Jonathan, thanks for the time. Hey, how are you guys? Thanks for having me. Well, uh, we're watching Miami and in positive ways, which is uh, strange and unusual. Uh, usually we're looking down there to make fun of your poor attendance and your bad football team. But things are looking up for Miami. Let's talk about the Marlins. Is this a surprising hire to you, knowing the culture of, of Jeter and, and the team? First of all, we're, we're a hot sports town right now, okay? The, Heath, <laughs> the Marlins snapped a 17-year playoff drought. The Panthers even made a postseason appearance. And the Dolphins got a young quarterback. Right? And the Canes, by the way, top 10. But that's besides the point. Okay, mm-hmm. now were we uh, surprised? by the Kim hire. Yeah, of course we were surprised. Like, how could we not have been surprised? Normally, when a team is about to hire a general manager, uh, you got some names that are floating around out there. This is a candidate. This is a candidate. We're expecting them to look at this person. And up until this this afternoon, it was actually in the middle of my show, Zazzle and Amber, this morning, where we got the news in the middle of the show. And Amber actually said to me, she goes, the moms have just hired a general manager, and it's a female. And I go, What? Because we hadn't heard any names out there, and she's the first female, obviously, general manager in Major League Baseball history. She's the highest-ranking executive in the history of North American, our major North American sports here. So, yeah, of course, pretty surprised and really cool. So what, in your mind, what are the expectations for her with the Marlins? Well, I I think the expect – look, she she actually – enters a really good situation, okay, because down here in South Florida, the expectations are really low for the Marlins, okay? Like I said, they snapped a 17-year-long playoff drought, and unfortunately, along with snapping that drought, we can no longer say that the Marlins have never lost in the postseason. They lost for the first time ever in the postseason (laughs) this year. But she enters a situation where we don't have a ton of expectations for our baseball team, but it's also a team that is very much seemingly on the rise because it's one thing when Derek Jeter, Bruce Sherman, they take over the team and we're in year number one and you get back-to-back 100-loss seasons and the team is terrible. Well, she's taken over a team that is now entering year four of that plan, okay? So they're pretty far along where they were when Derek Jeter took over, and it's also coming off a team that just made the postseason. They're really happy about their young arms. They got a real good farm system. So she's actually taken over a a situation where the personnel is in pretty good shape as far as young talent moving forward and expectation-wise. I I mean, it's not New York where we're expecting teams to win right away. So it's a pretty good job. Also, one of the highest-ranking women in in baseball is already in Miami in the COO, Caroline O'Connor, for the Marlins. So uh, progressive hiring done by Jeter and company down there. A really cool day and something very cool for the Marlins uh, to be able to stake their claim as hiring the first female GM of any of the major men's professional sports in North America. Jonathan Zaslow, easy for me to say, Jonathan Zaslow, 790 The Ticket with us here on Spain Fits. Uh, Let's talk about Tua. And this weird season of, like, uh, knowing that he was going to come in late because of injuries and everything else, and then the, the sort of mixed emotions of, of saying goodbye to Ryan Fitzpatrick, which immediately went away as soon as we saw a real e- example of how he could play in, in, in last weekend's game. How is Miami treating this? Are they losing their minds about this kid? 
Well, let's that that's a good lead in, okay, because we've been waiting for a successor for Dan Marino for over twenty years. Okay. I'm thirty nine years old, I'm gonna be forty, okay, in a couple of months. So for half my life I've been waiting for a successor for Dan Marino. I'm old enough to remember all those Marino years. But it's been a long time since I felt every Sunday that we got a chance to win down here because we got a quarterback who can do it on his own. And that's what last weekend looked like for the very first time since, you know, Marino's like second or third to last year. Did it feel like we got a kid back there who can swing it and can win games on his own? I mean, he had a 10-play, 93-yard drive when the Dolphins were down late third, early fourth down by seven on the road against a really good Cardinal team. He had a huge run, which set up a great fade pass to a receiver who I never even heard of at the time, Mac Hollins. And then, of course, ends up leading down the field for what ended up being the game-winning field goal. So after last weekend, we were super fired up. And the whole conversation going into last weekend's game was, oh, okay, should they have went to Tua? Fitzpatrick was playing great. The team feels like they're right in the mix. And just one game after having a week's worth of that conversation, guys, it's not even fathomable that we're ever going to have that conversation again. That's how excited we are down here. Okay, so let's look at this matchup then coming up this weekend because they're taking on Justin Herbert and a Chargers team that has looked good but has found creative ways to lose. The Dolphins spent a lot of money on the defense in this offseason. How do you expect them to slow down Herbert? Well, this is a super juicy game, okay, because obviously (laughs) the Dolphins were going to take one of the two at number five, and whoever they didn't take is who the Chargers were going to take at number six, okay? So we go into a matchup of we we think our guy's better than yours, all right? And that's both sides, Charger fans and Dolphins fans. But you mentioned the defense of the Dolphins, which has been a really pleasant surprise over the last three or four games. But here's the thing. No Christian Wilkins this weekend. No Kyle Van Noy this weekend. Okay, two very important pieces of that Dolphin defense, and that's because of COVID. Now, they don't have COVID, but they're involved in the contact tracing. You know, last weekend, the Dolphins were without five assistant coaches last weekend and still win the game in Arizona. And Van Noy and Wilkins apparently are part of contact tracing. They have the virus, but they got to sit out at least five days. And it was yesterday that they were put on this list. So there's no scenario where they can get back in time for Sunday. This is a very big test, obviously, for the Dolphins. Herbert likes to sling it. But Brian Flores, look, we know he's a defensive guy. And this defense is really confident. Okay, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, the two cornerbacks. It's as good a cornerback tandem in the league, I would say, and that obviously helps the pass rush when you got two guys who are defending so well out there. Jonathan Zaslow of 790, the ticket down in South Florida with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Shell Penzel performance line. There was a brief little niblet of a conversation uh, nationally about whether the Dolphins should be sad that they went with Tua instead of Herbert. Uh, is that still a conversation down there? Is that, is that a conversation that's in the works as the season goes on? Oh, we were so mad down here when Herbert had a great first couple games and before Tua has even stepped on the field. I mean, it felt like more of a smidgen of a conversation to us. Maybe we're being a little oversensitive. What's bigger, a smidgen or a niblet? We were... Yeah, we were so upset, okay, and now you had to his first game, and it's like, oh, all right, uh, 93 yards, nothing special, but you never do anything special because the special teams and the defense were so good that game, and then last weekend happened, where, I mean, he looked every bit of the kid that we saw, 
at Alabama when he was healthy. So we, w- we were upset, okay, but we finally got to see our guy last weekend, and we're really excited for this weekend because I think if Tua outperforms Herbert this weekend and the Dolphins win, and then the Dolphins also face Burrow and the Bengals in a few weeks, so we're going to see those quarterbacks play each other here. I feel like, Tua, this is an opportunity this weekend for him to kind of enter the uh, AFC Offensive Rookie of the Year conversation if he outperforms Herbert. Well, I'm excited to see these two go up against each other and excited for Miami to maybe have that quarterback as counterproductive as it is for me to wish for other teams to find their guy. I know what it feels like to be looking for a signal caller for decades. And so uh, (laughs) it's very exciting to feel like you might have found your guy. Uh, Thanks for the time. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.